welcome back to Silhouettes, a fashion history podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear. I'm coming back at you today with another short episode in my micro history series. This episode, we're going to be talking all about the history of hats. Now, this is quite a broad term. And there are honestly, as I found out, (laughs) a huge multitude of different types of hats that we could talk about. What I'm going to give you today is a kind of a brief overview of the origins of the hat, of different types of headwear, and the history and the background of a sort of select few of the most iconic and popular hats that we would know today. So let's get to it. So, as Wikipedia says, going back to basics, (laughs) a hat is a head covering which is worn for various reasons, including protection against weather conditions, ceremonial reasons such as university graduation, religious reasons, safety, or as a fashion accessory. So, basically, hats have always been a huge part of our culture in the world throughout all of history, especially for the upper class. Essentially, hats have always shown some sort of social, religious, or military military status, be this upper class status, lower class or otherwise. But also they can just completely change a look. They can completely change an outfit and they can demonstrate something completely different depending on the shape of the hat, the quality of the hat, what it's made of, a huge multitude of things. And for this reason, they're really, really fascinating pieces of micro history. So by hats, what I mean is really any sort of headwear that isn't a headdress, be this a bonnet, a cap, a helmet, top hat, church hats, cowboy hats, and the list goes on. Of course, some hats serve purely as function. Some are for fashion reasons. Some are required by law, as we'll find out. Some denote military rankings, and some are really purely cultural or ceremonial. However, some are purely just for fashion aesthetic reasons. Some of these go completely off-piste and are really, really wild, as we'll see in the 1960s a bit later on. (laughs) With all this in mind, hats are therefore a really fascinating little piece of microhistory, as I said, as they tell us so much about a culture and their social, religious and practical requirements. So I thought a great place to start with this to sort of demonstrate what I mean, I'm not going chronologically here, but sort of more by theme, is with Queen Elizabeth I, who seems to crop up a lot in this podcast, huh? (laughs) Now she championed a really interesting law surrounding the frivolity of dress and a great deal of these, in fact, but particularly a special law in around 1571 that ruled that everybody over the age of seven should wear a specific type of cap. They talk about this more in detail on the Great British Sewing Bee on BBC if you want some great photos and infographics about this. It's the episodes about men's clothing in the most recent series, I think. It's very interesting. This rule essentially lets people know visually and immediately your social status. In a similar way, perhaps maybe jewellery would have or expensive cars would nowadays. However, these hats would have likely denated you of being a lower class or or of a working class. At this time, England was importing a great deal of new fabrics, and so Elizabeth wished to curb frivolous spending due to the amount of debt many young people were finding themselves in with their desire to want to wear the new best fabrics. And so each class was allowed use and access to certain fabrics and materials. For example, a biggin, a type of hat that was actually worn by Shakespeare, for example, would negate your status due to its material makeup, and the longer the hat was, the higher your rank. There was also the compulsory legal wearing of woolen caps on certain days but the upper classes were exempt from this law. This small little story in the world's history is really really interesting and completely sums up what hats have and can represent in history. However in terms of chronology of world history the first known instance of a hat is largely unknown as with much of history sort of 
BC. <laughs> However, as I found out, one of the earliest known confirmed hats was worn by a Bronze Age man nicknamed Otzi, whose body, including his hat, <laughs> was found frozen in a mountain between Austria and Italy, where he had been since around 3250 BC. <sighs> he was found wearing a bearskin cap with a chin strap made of several hides stitched together, essentially resembling a Russian fur hat without the flaps. There's a lot of information online about Otzi, um, particularly on National Geographic, if you want to know a little bit more. But in terms of his hat, this is just fascinating. And it's just such a long time ago. I can't even, my brain can't even compute that. <laughs> However, one of the first pictorial depictions of a hat appears in a tomb painting from Thebes in Egypt, which shows a man wearing a conical straw hat. And this is dated to around 3200 BC. Hats were commonly worn in ancient Egypt and many upper class Egyptians shaved their heads, then covered it in a headdress intended to help keep them cool. So in this case, it was not merely just to show your status, but also for practical reasons, really, which we will see a lot in this episode. The kind of combination of the two things I think is really, really interesting. Thinking about this, military helmets are also really huge part of the history of hats and headwear as well as social status and practical reasons. They're a really intrinsic part of both the protection of soldiers and the visual indication of their military status. The Romans, for example, have iconic military headdresses that we all know with the big feather on the top. These sort of military headdresses and hats also changed a lot depending on who held the status in the military at a certain time period in the West particularly as well. But essentially in history a hat is a very, very multifaceted thing and it can come in many, many different forms. There's military, there's class, there's protection, there's fashion. These three examples even just show in ancient history the root of the hat that we know today. But now I think I just want to lead us through some iconic hats and headdresses. Sort of think your bowler hat, your deer stalker, your beret. And I just want to go over where these came from and how they've become what we know. Because as I said, the hat is such a broad topic. I think the best way to go about this is to give you some information on on your favorites <laughs> okay let's start with berets or berets however you want to say it I'm going to start with this because it's my personal choice of hat when I'm out and about I love them they seem to go with everything <laughs> they're smart they're casual whatever you want they're the best but where did the beret come from this hat dates to the ancient Greeks and the Romans. So actually, they're one of the oldest style caps or hats. Who knew? So I'd say, and I might be wrong here, but we associate berets with the French, with a sort of Breton striped top, with a French artiste of the 20s or 30s or with mimes. And this is really interesting to me. <laughs> you wouldn't be wrong, as the mass production of berets can actually be dated to France or perhaps Spain in the 19th century. And this is obviously likely where we get this iconic image from and when general popularity, I'm sure, soared. However, archaeology leads us to believe that berets were used in the Bronze Age in Crete and in Italy, and they were also likely worn by Romans. A beret-style hat was also worn by tribes in the Pyrenees, and they're particularly popular in Scotland in pre-18th century era. In Scotland particularly, berets have often been worn by clans. They identified standing, rank and profession. For example, think of the Tanushanta. Google an image of this beret style and you'll know what I mean. 
There is also an ancient Scottish society called the Kilwinning Archers who wear a specific type of beret with a stripe around the middle and a pom-pom stitched in the top. However, the first factory-made berets have production records dating back to 1810. This factory in France created the image of the beret that we really know today. Slowly then, the beret became associated with the working class in the early 20th century, as well as artists and other workers. Slowly, berets became a fashion statement, but their sort of original state in France and Italy, for example, was with workers. And that's really interesting because now I think they've become quite a luxury item, really. Whenever um, myself or friends wear a beret out, people always compliment us on it and tell us how chic we look, which is interesting that that's a word we now associate with that. However, berets have also historically been worn a lot by the military, particularly the um, UK and US armies have military style caps as a really, really large part of their uniform. They're a more specific style and they don't look exactly like the sort of fashion um, accessory berets that we would wear on the whole, but they still have the beret shape in terms of a flat bit of woolen fabric that sits on top of your head very neatly, but they don't have the little accessory on the top nodule. I don't know what to call it. (laughs) And they also are usually trimmed with a little bit of leather. But essentially berets are something that is seen all throughout history and they always have the same shape. I suppose these are quite easy to make compared to some other hat styles. All you really need is some good wool and the ability to stitch. Berets, great bit of headwear, great bit of kit. Really, really iconic, really easy to style, representative of so many different cultures, classes of people, rankings, all of these things things a really great place to start in terms of the history of hats i think now thinking of sort of iconic hats we really have to talk about the top hat (laughs) arguably one of the most instantly recognizable images for me at least in terms of hats is the top hat we all know it we all love it maybe (laughs) The top hat is really synonymous with the posh Victorian man. And this is an image that has been updated and recreated in fashion for many years after its inception. So the top hat emerged in Western fashion by the end of the 18th century. I read that the top hat was perhaps influenced by the sugarloaf hat, which is worn in the 1590s by men and women, which is a tall, narrow brimmed black hat worn over the crown and forehead. The tricorn and bicorn hats of the late 18th century, however, were directly replaced by what is known as the top hat. Interestingly, at the sort of turn of the century, hat styles closely followed formal jacket styles for men, whilst the Justicorps style of coat, the long, often red gilded jacket seen worn by Louis XVI, for example, were replaced with the frock coat, the longer, simpler fitted, often black coat we associate with the Victorian era. Hats therefore followed suit and a similar, starker style was necessitated, in which the top hat fitted this void. Into the 20s, however, we saw the lowering of hats with the popular of new bowler hats and fedoras and this appealed to new generations. Essentially these hats were just the children of the top hat which was a really important hat design in western history particularly as it was the birthplace of the style of hats that came after it and a lot of the style of hats that we wear today. The simple design of the top hat was important and allowed for a great deal of movement but equally created the blueprints for so many styles. Of course the top hat is still in circulation at specific formal events today particularly weddings or christenings in the 80s 
80s, for example, if you look at old wedding photos, the top hat is firmly in popularity, <laughs> most likely due to the Laura Ashley Victorian influence on fashion during the time, particularly in the UK. Stretson hat worn by cowboys in the late 1880s are very similar in style to bowler hats and fedoras with the taller top and the wide brim. These, however, are just made from a less rigid material and have a slight dimple at the top. But to me, the similarities are definitely there and the top hat was the birthplace of all of these. So with very iconic and famous Victorian style hats in mind, I also want to talk about deer stalkers. Now, if you don't know what the deer stalker is, this is the hat probably now most famously associated with Sherlock Holmes, who, although is a fictional character, is a huge reference point for Victorian style and men's fashion particularly, as well as the deerstalker hat. This is the hat that sits neatly on the top of the head and is often woolen tweed with the two flaps that cover the ears that ties underneath the chin. Have a look at some images if you're not sure what I mean, but that description should be enough, hopefully. However, the deerstalker, as its name would probably suggest, <laughs> was literally worn when stalking deer. This was made of a heavy wool or tweed, as I said, and the two flaps that could be tied over the ears under the chin was for warmth and protection when outdoors. Yet for me, at least, when I think of the imagery of this hat, I do think Sherlock Holmes holding a magnifying glass, smoking a pipe, solving a crime. <laughs> However, Holmes, interestingly, is never actually described by Conan Doyle as wearing a deerstalker. But once a reference to an ear flapped traveling hat is made in the books, which is really interesting for such iconic piece of headwear nowadays. It's actually not got too much history to it. It was literally just for protection purposes when hunting, but now has become a really costumed hat. I think it's really fascinating to me that that can happen. However, deerstalker hats were very, very popular in the Victorian times in the UK. And this is likely what inspired the illustrator to go with this style and what has really supplanted this image so strongly in our minds. And as I said, this image of this hat is completely iconic and really synonymous with a certain era and a certain type of person. And it just shows the influence hats can have both as a fashion accessory and as a whole identity in themselves. hat that has become a really iconic image and now seen as a fashion accessory is the boater hat. This was originally worn by, you guessed it, rowers in boats. <laughs> However, as I said, it's become synonymous with turn of the century fashion in general and has become a style of wicker hat that is worn by people today. I have one myself. I wear it in the summer all the time and it goes with everything. But also when you think about barbershop quartets, for example, it's become an image that we associate with fashion and with a completely different group to its original practical use. Boaters were and still are um, famously worn by the gondoliers of Venice and it's a really big part of their uniform as well as the striped top. Again, this is interesting because as I said, it's taken on its own fashion identity but originally was part of quite a strict uniform really. As this shows us, a lot of hats were named after their particular practical use or reason for wearing but a lot of hats are also named after their shape. Think of cloche hats of the 1920s, which are named after the French word for bell. And these were a real staple of 20s fashion. These hats covered the forehead and were made of a soft wool material. They could be simple or adorned with flowers and ribbons and perfectly suited the androgynous style of the 20s. The brims could be shortened and close to the rim or longer and sort of rolled up. These were often made of velvet to get the desired look. These hats made way for smaller cloche style hats in the 30s that sat very neatly on the crown of the head and these slowly developed into 
unique shapes and sizes. But the cloche hat is a really interesting example of how a hat can develop not too dissimilar to the top hat and will change and alter its general shape and makeup depending on fashion styles and ideas of masculinity and femininity, for example. But obviously the cloche hat, which is named after the word bell, eventually was no longer the shape of a bell, but was still known as a cloche hat, which I think is quite interesting. <laughs> the name of the hat became its own thing entirely, much like the deerstalker. People wearing a deerstalker now are not wearing it, well, maybe, <laughs> to stalk deer. They are wearing it in terms of a Sherlock Holmes costume or just as a fashion accessory, not too dissimilar to the cloche hat. Talking of the 20s, I do want to talk about flat caps. Now, these are hats that now are also known as Peaky Blinders hats. Hmm. <laughs> These also actually tie very nicely into my last point about how things can develop and the names can take on new meaning. Now, speaking of the show Peaky Blinders, actually, um, the title of the show is literally a style of hat that was worn in the 1920s. <laughs> The history of the Peaky Blinders, the gang, is a little bit brutal, so I'm not going to um, go into too much detail here. But essentially, something to do with the brim of the hat and razor blades within the stitching. How true this all is, I found a lot of differing information, but that's essentially what the TV show is named after and something that gangs of Birmingham in the 1920s wore and potentially used. But a peaky style of hat was actually a term that referred to any type of hat with a brim at the time. So it was a phrase that was already more or less used, which is obviously why it was chosen and why it became synonymous with this type of hat, flat cap. Although it's debated, as I said, whether razors were actually used at this time, as razor blades were extremely pricey at this time period, at least proper sharpened ones, which is why barbers usually had access to them only and barbershops were so frequented. But essentially, the peaky blinder hat is a flat cap and a flat cap has been worn all throughout history by all different types of people but it's something now that we really associate with the 1920s and with the Peaky Blinders specifically it's interesting to me that this can happen <laughs> but the flat cap yeah is a really really popular piece of headwear particularly in the UK for hundreds of years really it's a huge staple so with the 1920s in mind I want to move on to the mid-century this is where hats really really took off they became hugely popular and yeah, there are some really, really interesting and pretty amazing pieces of headwear, particularly accessories for fashion reasons. Take Christian Dior, for example. He created this face framing hat that worked perfectly with his female body hugging suits. He created defined pointed bras and cinched in waist and ankle cutting circle skirts. And they were the perfect balance of soft and sharp, which this hat allowed for. This vision of the female silhouette, according to a great book called 30 Second Fashion, filtered into ready-made and home-sewn clothing and really identified the hourglass silhouette we envision when we think of as 50s fashion. And the hat was the really the thing that topped this off and just made the silhouette look even more balanced and beautiful. This inspired something called the new look in which accessories, particularly hats, started to become a huge array of designs and these were an integral part of the shape and the silhouette of this time period. When I think of mid-century hats, I also, of course, think of the first lady, Miss Jackie Kennedy and her pillbox extravaganza. <laughs> a pillbox hat is a small hat usually worn by women with a flat crown, straight upright sides and no brim. It is named after the small cylindrical or hexagonal cases that pills used to be sold in, so a pillbox. Now pillbox hats were a huge part of early 60s wear, especially in the States, but were also worn frequently as military hats, especially in Canada. This is an example again of a fashion taking on many forms and whilst technically 
it has the same bones and the same design. The way it's styled and the context it's worn in allows it to take on an entirely different story. But in the 60s, hats really, really, they went off piece. There are some incredibly bizarre hat designs that you see created in the 60s. And I suppose this ties in with the general fashion design of the era that we sort of know and love. Of course, the pillbox hat was popular, but so were cloche style shape hats that were just adorned in flowers or birds or all different types of things. And a huge array of fashion designers at the time, particularly in America, saw this opening and just went with it. In a great book called Hats by um, Jodie Shields, she talks about how in the 60s, streamlined, smooth, unadored helmets were nicknamed cosmonaut casks after the Soviet space venture, which is really interesting. And these hats are sort of reminiscent of 1920s cloche hats and kind of represent the 1960s fascination with all things space, which is really, really interesting to me. But there were even hats made of straw, of quilt, of purely bows, and they're really quite incredible. But these hats, I would say, are less iconic in shape and form. The pillbox hat is definitely, but you don't see these sort of really bizarre hat styles from this mid-century era replicated quite as much as things like top hats and bowler hats. And they haven't become quite as iconic as these ones. In terms of strong imagery in hats, I do want to talk about the witch's hat. To me, this has such a strong image. And although perhaps not historically accurate, I can't do an episode on the history of hats without bringing up the witch's hat. <laughs> it's really just such an archetypal image. Most likely, it comes from the mummified remains of the witches of Sebeshi. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> but they wore tall black hats with pronounced points. Subeshi's date between the 4th and the 2nd century BCE, located in Turpan in the east. There are also links to anti-Semitism and anti-Quaker prejudice with witches' hats, in that the style of the hat became associated with black magic, of which the Jewish were often accused of. Quaker caps were a point of contention too. The Puritan backlash in the 18th century meant hats in tall styles became associated with the demonic. <laughs> this though also brings us to the 19th and 20th century and the media basically. The tall black pointed hat is now firmly associated with witch costumes often worn during Halloween as my last episode will tell you all about. <laughs> But this is a really interesting hat that has roots all over the place, but also particularly associated with its current form that does have a history of magic, of black magic, of witches. And this is what the black pointed hat is known as associated with today. So this was just a really brief little foray into the hat um, in terms of how it's seen today and some of the most iconic images in terms of headwear. I focused really a great deal on the hat as a fashion accessory. As I learned as I was writing this episode, <laughs> it is a huge topic. There are so many different styles of hats with so many different meanings all around the world. And it was really quite impossible to <laughs> curate all this into an under half an hour episode. I hope this episode has been interesting to you. I think what's interesting to me and in my research is that there's a specific style, the beret sort of style that's just a piece of stitched wool seems to be the most popular and perhaps it's in its simplicity. But also I think what's interesting is how one hat can become 
so many others. I suppose there's only many, so many different shapes and styles and designs that you can create. And so naturally one hat will become many other things as fashioners develop and this style gets played around with, particularly in terms of hats as a fashion accessory and something for more aesthetic purposes as opposed to cultural or religious, which I didn't really go into in this episode because as I said, I just can't do that justice within half an hour. Maybe that's a whole other episode in itself, huh? <laughs> but anyway, I hope you enjoyed this new episode in our micro history series. As I said, these are really popular and thank you so much for all your listens. It's really making this little um, passion project of mine feel very exciting and all of your love that you're giving me over on my Instagram, Silhouettes Podcast, is really appreciated and yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Thank you so much. I will end here with a brief glossary of some hat styles that you can listen through and you are welcome of course to google images of any of these hats if you don't know what I'm talking about if you're not interested in a glossary then you can stop here and thank you so much for listening but if you are aigrette alpine babushka bagnolette bacau balibontal beret bicorn biretta bota body hat Bolero, Bonnet, Bowler, Breton Sailor, Bumper, Busby, Cabriolet, Calotte, Canotier, Cap, Capeline, Capote, Cartwheel, Cask, Cellophane, Charlotte or Charlotte Corday, Chechia, Cloche, Cooley, Cornet, Cossack, Cowboy Hat, Crin, Derby, Doll Hat, Dolly Varden, Dunce Cap, Aigrette, Empress Eugenie, <laughs> Fedora, Felt, Fez, Fontania or Tower, Gainsborough, Garbo, Gigolo, Gypsy Hat, Halo Hat, Harlequin, Helmet, Homburg, Hood, Juliet Cap, Leghorn, Marabou, Marquess, Mary Stuart, Matador, Mary Widow, Milan Straw, Mitre, Mobcat, Mountie Hat, Moscarata or Musketeer, Mushroom, Open Crown, Opera, Pale Dentel, Pamela Bonnet, Panama, Pancake Hat, Farian Cap, Picture Hat, Pillbox, Poke Bonnet, Pork Pie, Profile Hat, Quaker, Raffia, Robin Hood, Safari Hat, Sailor, Seasal, Skimmer, Skull Cap, Slouch Hat, Snood, Sombrero, Sue Wester, Stetson, Sugarloaf, Swagger Hat, Tamashanta, Ten Gallon Hat, Top Hat, Top, Toyo, Tricorn, Trilby, Turban, Velour, Watto Hat, Wimple. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> Stay fab, everyone, and I hope to see you soon. Goodbye.